Pilot Fiber, based in New York City, is hiring network engineers for support and infrastructure roles, as well as a front-end developer. Learn more at pilotfiber.com slash packetpushers. Pilot Fiber is telecom without the BS, and we thank them for being a sponsor. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Thanks so much for listening. My goal today, as always, is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. And along the way, we get to talk to a bunch of interesting people and gather their perspectives about what it is to be an IT professional and what it is to be in a state of continual learning, as we all are here in the technology industry. Uh, Joining me today is uh, Corey Younger, and Corey is going to chat with me about, uh, you know, the perspective of joining the IT industry as a a new member, uh, just starting their career. So good morning, Corey. Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Scott. Uh, Yes, as Scott said, I am uh, fresh out of the gates, a full-on noob. Um, I've been podcasting, uh, blogging, webcasting for the past few years, doing a little bit of, bit of consulting here and there. But as far as the official uh, full-time and graduation status, uh, I will be stepping out of those gates here in December. Um, so yeah, like I said, my name is Corey Younger. You can find me on the interwebs at SDN Daughter on Twitter, at CyberCorey on Instagram, uh, and on the web at totalpackets.com. Thank you, Corey. So very exciting. I think you uh, just recently accepted that job offer. You're going to be starting soon. Is that right? Uh, I'm actually still in the job market. Oh, I see. Okay. Last time you and I had chatted, you were you were expecting an offer. So I guess uh, that's all right. Maybe maybe being on the podcast will open up a new opportunity for you. Yeah, uh, wasn't uh, wasn't exactly the the best fit. So I'm actually going to go the contracting role. Um, with that route. So not a total negative, still going to be writing some content for them. Um, so, you know, kind of a, still a winning situation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Very good. So, um, let's, let's just, uh, you know, chat for a little bit. I'd love for you to kind of share your perspectives with, uh, a lot of the listeners who I suspect have been probably in the industry a little bit longer. Um, uh, just knowing my read, my quote unquote readership and the listeners, um, but uh, what what made you want to work in IT? I mean, what what drew you to a career in technology? Yeah. So quite simply, uh, initially, I wasn't drawn to a career in IT. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my Twitter is SDN daughter. So obviously, there's an SDN mother. Uh, that's actually SDN girl on Twitter. Of course, she'll be so happy that I shouted her out. Um, but so. My mom's been in this industry for a long time. My dad's also in this industry. So I went into college and I was like, no way. I am not doing what my parents do. So I was way over my head and I went in as pre-med and was even biomedical engineering for a little while. Um, I ended up transferring to St. Louis University from Mizzou. um, And my backup plan was uh, medical device sales. So I got an internship with CDW, who is a, they're a bar. And that's who my mom was working for at the time. So that was kind of my end there. And one of the first projects we worked on was um, 
selling the servers and the security equipment for this remote medicine project, uh, research project that they were working on. Um, and through that project, I got to see kind of all that went into building out, you know, the security systems. And when they were doing this project, they were working on, you know, the speeds and, and how much redundancy they needed for, you know, their compliance. And, you know, they had to build out completely different systems because, because of their speeds and they needed to be able to communicate back and forth. And so this, at that time, I knew really not a lot about technology, well, more than I thought that I knew. But so that really captured my attention. And so at that time, I actually had a guy say, you know, oh, don't waste your time talking to her. She doesn't know anything. Uh, and so I, I think it was kind of in spite of him that I, I went and changed my major um, and then actually ended up transferring schools so that way I could go into a cybersecurity program because it was really the security that I was interested in. So yeah, I kind of fell into it as much as I wanted to, you know, rebel against my parents in their industry. You know, sometimes it's it's in your DNA and you really can't avoid it. So, uh, yeah, thank God for that internship. Yeah, it sounds like uh, that really, uh, you know, was a turning point for you. And it's so funny to hear you tell that story because, like, uh, you know, I've obviously been in the industry for years and years and years. And my kids have seen me grow up. Uh, you know, through the industry and, and my, my, uh, second youngest son was sort of the same way. He said, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be engineering. I'm going to go in here and I'm going to do this. And then he got in and he's like, you know, I don't really want to do that. I think I'm going to pursue a career in software development instead. And, uh, recently graduated with a CS degree and now working. So it just, you know, like you never know what, what life is going to throw at you. You know, I think it's those dinner table conversations, and especially when both of your parents are in the industry, and now my older brother is a network engineer worldwide, that those, you know, technology is another language. You know, engineering is a whole other language. So when you're hearing people talk about switches and servers and routers and configurations over Emo's Pizza, because I'm from St. Louis you know, that becomes second nature and you inherently start to pick up on this. And then whenever I started going through formal courses in this, I was like, wow, these are things that we're actually spending a lot of time learning. And it's just something that we can't help but have an advantage in when you have a parent in the industry. So it's easy to fall into. Yeah, I could, I could certainly see that. And so, you know, hearing, you know, you talk about now taking some formal training. So let's switch gears a little bit and once you did make that decision, you're like, okay, I, I want to do this. And by the way, you know, sorry that somebody didn't give you the respect that they should have, but I, I'm glad that it motivated you to, to prove them wrong. Um, but um, once you did decide you were going to go, you know, like, hey, I'm going to do this, uh, uh, you, you switched majors. Did you pursue computer science or was there another computer degree? Like what was your major in college and, and how did you, now that you knew you were going to do this, how did you decide you were going to prepare for a career in IT? Yeah. So for uh, money saving and graduation sake, I actually will graduate with a degree in business emphasis in information systems um, with my undergraduate certificate in NIST cybersecurity protocols. So instead of having that formal information systems degree, I decided to kind of tweak it more to what I wanted to do with the security. So BSBA, emphasis in information systems and uh, NIST cybersecurity protocols. Because of yesterday, I will also have an emphasis in entrepreneurship as well, which is very exciting. And through that, we've gone through 
preparing for different certifications, paying for my own college in my last few years, it's kind of been a struggle to to actually take those certifications. So I'm hoping that once I step into a full-time role, I'm just kind of ready out of the gate to take those exams and knock them out. So I'm prepared for my CISSP, my CCNA, my cloud, uh, Google Cloud Architect exam. So a few of those different exams that my school has emphasized is how I've been training. And I think that you know, if I could do it all over again, I don't think that I would pursue a four-year degree right out of the gate. And I would just go that certification route because honestly, studying for those certifications has been probably more beneficial than than any of my courses. Well, my courses are tailored towards studying for the course for the exams, but it's it's studying for the exams that really gets you that technical knowledge. Yeah, for sure. I totally get it. So I actually think that um, it's very interesting here. You say that you decided to have like this major in business with, you know, minors or, or you know, focuses in, in cybersecurity and, and, the, and uh, information technology, as opposed to sort of a formal MIS or, or IT um, or CS you know, certification, because um, I think that for a lot of IT professionals, they, they often lose sight of the business side of the house. And, yeah. uh, you know, they get so wrapped up in the technology that, they perhaps forget that, you know, we don't do technology for technology's sake. We do technology to support a business and understanding yeah. the needs of that business and how we can make that business more successful, I think, are actually really important things to have. And I think that's what really drew me into, into the field, right, is whenever I saw technology influencing something else, I saw how technology was implemented in the healthcare industry all of a sudden it wasn't just configuring a server. It wasn't just, oh, this is the internet. Oh, this is IoT. This is cloud. It was, oh, this is how this drives business. This is how this makes change. This is how this makes our world more efficient. And so then all of a sudden it was like a click for me. Um, And I actually have a term for that. When people forget that they're... uh, that they're lacking those business skills. So I've actually found my sweet spot in this industry, and it's it's not being a full-on engineer. As much as I love being a security engineer, I love writing firewall rules. I love role-based access rules. I could do it all day. But I think that my sweet spot is being that technically bilingual person. So the person that can take what an engineer is saying and translate it to the business unit, translate it to the CEO, the CFO, the, the product owner, someone who doesn't have that engineering background, because I think that so many times there's a disconnect there and then things don't get done just because they're talking in circles and don't understand each other. Yeah, that's uh, so very true. I, I totally think that having effective communication skills and being able to perform that sort of translation is, is critically important and will continue to be critically important, perhaps even increasing in importance in the years ahead as uh, the IT industry undergoes a transformation with the rise of, of public cloud computing and architectural changes in how we uh, create and deploy applications. Um, so I think that my personal take is that that's a, that's a, a really nice sweet spot to have. <laughs> yeah. 
So you mentioned you were, you know, you were all prepped for uh, Google Cloud Architect and CISSP and CCNA. You know, we're all kind of techies too. So, you know, share with us something really, uh, really cool or geeky that you did in preparing for that. Um, really, it's just the, it's just labs, man. Um, especially with the CISSP, that it's a, it's a really tough exam. So I've, I've spent a lot of time in the labs. I'm really fortunate. I'm at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and we have a great program. We have a lot of labs at our disposal. So I oftentimes go through the labs we have there. Um, I also go through Worldwide's labs all the time. They have a lot of publicly available labs that I go through. So I also just completed Immersive Labs and Cynet's open competition for $5,000. Unfortunately, I didn't win the $5,000, but it was a really great opportunity, and I would recommend that next year everyone completes uh, their open competition because it gives people with experience everywhere from beginning to learn cybersecurity from to being an industry professional, just learning the lingo and gaining points that way to white field assessments at, where they basically say, here you go, hack. So I thought that that was a really cool opportunity because in my field, you know, cybersecurity, something that we always yearn to do is pen testing, but it's illegal, right? <laughs> so unless you are hired out by someone um, or you have someone's approval, it's not a skill that you can develop a lot. So fortunately with bug bounties, which is also, I guess, something geeky that I've enrolled in you know, you don't often have those opportunities. So I would, I would recommend that to everyone. And I'm sorry, I know you asked for one thing, but I guess no. I spend a lot of my time behind a computer. <laughs> no, that's okay. Multiple things are fine. More information for the listeners. So no problem at yeah. all. Um, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I could totally see your, your, your point about um, sort of the pen testing. Cause as a, as a newcomer to the field, it would be perhaps a little less likely that a company would hire you to do some pen testing. And oh, so okay. you're, you're, you're caught, caught in this, um, this, you know, loop, if you will, where you need the experience to get the, to, of doing pen testing in order to get the work to do the pen testing in order to get the experience. Right. So it's good that you've been able to find uh, these competitions and other labs that will help you um, gain that experience, which is, I think, uh, crucially important. And now, a word from our sponsor. Did you like that? I just wanted to be be dramatic as I cut in with this. I, I got an interesting one here, for, especially if you're looking for work. Pilot Fiber, based in New York City, they are hiring network engineers for support and infrastructure roles, as well as a front-end developer. Not sure why Pilot Fiber might be an interesting place to work. Well, their tagline is telecom without the BS. And if that's an attitude you identify with, here's a bit more of how they describe themselves. Pilot Fiber actually cares about customers, so they make everything easy. Pricing is all-inclusive. There are no contracts. The setup and installation is fast. Pilot Fiber customers work with local support and construction teams, so think of them as your friendly neighborhood internet experts. Pilot Fiber makes a big deal about the products actually working, and they claim that they are the only network in the country that has real-time fiber monitoring, so they differentiate themselves by combining this advanced approach to networking with dedication to quality, reliability, and that inclusive pricing we mentioned. If working for a company like that seems interesting, they are hiring, filling roles in junior and senior network support engineering, network infrastructure engineering, and front-end development. 
Telecom without the BS. Learn more at pilotfiber.com slash packet pushers. That's pilotfiber.com slash packet pushers. And we thank them for being a sponsor. Go on now as you were. Back to the episode. Gaining experience is probably the hardest thing to do in any industry, I'm sure. I mean, I even think I grew up in the modeling industry and they would want experience, but then you couldn't get experience to gain that experience. So I actually, and this is just a funny snippet of how my career started. So I've actually been doing a little bit of consulting here on the side just for, you know, supplemental college income. And I've been really involved in the entrepreneurship space in St. Louis. So I reached out to a few of the co-working spaces, law firms, a few of the smaller medical companies here in St. Louis. Actually, I've been doing cybersecurity and networking consulting for them because I just undercut my competitors' prices and said, hey, if it doesn't work out, I won't charge you. So really, there's no risk to you. I just want the ability to learn because I need the experience. So let me come in. Let me take a look at your network. Make sure everything's going right. Uh, basically, I had a co-working space uh, next core that they had a user that couldn't get through to what they wanted. So I went in, wrote some new firewall rules for them reconfigured some things for them. And that started my consulting business just because I couldn't gain that traction to get that experience. Cause you have to have experience to get experience. And it's such a weird loop that we live in. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, uh, it's great that you took the initiative and, and reached out to those businesses. And, and I guess that's a, a good lesson for others who might be in a similar situation where they're just jumpstarting their career, you know, look for opportunities where you can, you can do that work. Um, you know, not, not necessarily as a huge money-making opportunity, although it's you know nice to have a little extra cash, but to, uh, to gain some of that experience. And I, and I guess this is, uh, you know, if, if there are any recruiters, you know, listening to the show, like this is something to consider as well as how do we, how do we enable newcomers to the industry to get the opportunity to come in and work and become the future, you know, leaders in the industry when we have this sort of thing, like they need experience in order to get experience. So anyway, um, but that, that sort of sets us up for the next part of the discussion, which is like, you know, aside from, you know, this whole, you know, needing experience to get a job in order to get experience thing, what are some of the other challenges that you've run into uh, as you've decided you made this pivot to say, okay, I'm going to pursue a career in technology. What are some of the, the challenges that you faced and, and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So obviously, like you said, there's the whole experience thing, trying to convince people to take a risk on a recent college grad um, and trying to explain to them that, Hey, I'm not just a recent college grad. I've, you know, I've been doing all these things for the past few years, but also that I've had a lot of challenges with while I'm trying to gain this experience and, and while I'm being in school, trying to balance those two. So I do a lot of, not a lot, but I do quite a bit of traveling with Tech Field Day. And I travel and speak at women tech events and cybersecurity events. And school is not always accommodating of that. So, you know, I've had my grades dinged here and there uh, because of that. So that's been a challenge. Also, you know, as much as I told you that I speak at women in tech events, as much as I love the push around women in tech, um, I really do because obviously I benefit from it. I have actually seen it as a hindrance. It will help me get my foot in the door. It'll help me get my first interview. And sometimes 
it will even benefit me throughout the entire hiring process and actually being the candidate who's chosen. But then whenever I'm the person at the table, I feel as if sometimes, you know, when female engineers get talked over or, you know, the guy down the table raises his hand and says the the same suggestion that you did five minutes ago and all of a sudden it's a great idea. So I think that the industry is coming a long way, but it's, I almost wish that there wasn't such an emphasis on it because I feel like the spotlight's on you. And then it's almost as if people kind of assume that you're there because you're a woman and you have to, and maybe it's an internal thing, but you feel as if you have to really prove your chops, which maybe that's a good thing, right? You know, cause then you're coming out of the gate really strong, but definitely is a little anxiety inducing, especially going into your first job, right? Yeah, sure. I can totally, totally see that. I, I, I don't want to in any way minimize some of the challenges that women face in, in the technology industry, but I will say that um, it's not at all uncommon uh, among people that I've talked to, even experienced industry veterans, <clears throat> to have some trepidation, to have a little bit of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, imposter syndrome as you start a new role or um, as you transition into a new technology field. Um, I can I can say that from you know my own personal perspective, switching gears, uh, you know, a couple years ago to come out of you know focusing on a very sort of VMware centric, uh, you know, skill set into more open source, more Linux, more containers, more Kubernetes, more cloud computing. Um, you know, I, I myself was like, Hey, I'm not really, you know, like, uh, I gotta, I gotta go prove myself, you know, same, yeah. same sort of scenario. Right. And, and I've been in the industry for you know decades. So, uh, you know, I, I think part of that is normal, but I, 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 uh, again, don't want to minimize some of the challenges that unfortunately, uh, and, and it's wrong. I mean, it's just plain wrong. There's no no other way of saying it. That unfortunately, some of the some of women and people of color that they face in in the technology industry. And while I agree that as an industry we are moving forward, I think we can also agree that um, we still have we still have a a ways to go. We still have a, you know, know, quite a bit of road to travel. You know, Scott, I love that you say that women and people of color because it is it is women and people of color and and the LGBTQ community. It is. It is an issue that all minorities face. It is not just women. It, I, I just say women because it's, you know, it's a community that I identify with. And, you know, it's this whole push that we've had recently. Um, and by no means are you are you downplaying the the issues that women have had. And I, you know, I also see this as an issue with this whole movement is that, you know, I go to these events and it's filled with women, which is great. But I want to be having these conversation with men because those are the people whose whose minds I want to change. You know, those are the people whose actions that I want to change. So I think that it's great that you recognize that. And it's also great that you recognize that it's not just an issue that that women face, because you're right. It is. You know, it's it's something that women face, people of color, the LGBTQ community, new hires. It's. It's everyone. And, you know, it may just be imposter syndrome. Like I said, it could totally be something internal that I, that I feel like, Hey, the spotlight's on me. I feel like I, I really got to prove myself or that I don't belong or I don't deserve this spot. I hate the term double-edged sword, but it's, it's a good and a bad thing, right? It's creating this change, but it's also just drawing so much attention to it. 
that it, it creates some anxiety. So I'm definitely happy for what's going on in the industry, but it's, uh, it makes your palms a little sweaty. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And I, and I appreciate, you know, you, you know, calling out it, you're, you're right. It's all underrepresented minorities. Um, and there is a lot of work to be done yet, but I, I think, you know, from, from my perspective, at least, and, and I hope that, you know, it sounds like you have a similar mindset that, you know, you could take that out, that sort of pressure, if you will, right. That visibility, um, and see that as an opportunity for really, uh, you to rise to the occasion. And it sounds like you've already done that. So, you know, kudos to you and to all others who may be, you know, feeling, uh, similarly, um, as, as Corey's describing, you know, this is an opportunity for you to shine. Uh, it really yeah. is. So now one of the things you mentioned, Corey, while we were preparing for um, the podcast is you mentioned this thing called a failure resume. Now this was not a term that I was familiar with. Um, so I was wondering, you know, can you just talk to the listeners about like, what is this thing about a, a failure resume and, and why is it important? And is it more important perhaps for somebody new to their career or, is it equally important for, you know, folks like me who have been in the industry for 25 years? Yeah. So I think more for people who are going through a career change or seeking a new role. Also people who are along somewhat of an entrepreneurship route. So like I mentioned, uh, I've been writing and blogging a little bit of podcasting here and there. And so that's why a failure resume has been really important to me. You know, we all get that question whenever you go into an interview, what's the time that you failed? And we all sit there and say, oh, well, I don't want to tell them or, well, I can't think of a time that I failed. What about that stats class? I don't want to tell them about that. So a failure resume is essentially, yes, a list of every single time that you failed. The reason why it's important, it doesn't need to be shared with anyone. It's not there to knock you down. I actually legitimately have a failure resume and I've debated whether or not I should put it out. But Mine is a list of business ventures, of failed opportunities that I haven't followed up on, even down to those stats classes that I failed. I've taken that class like four times. Scott, I will not lie. I cannot pass stats. Um, I have passed it now, but a failure resume is, yeah, a, a list of times that you've fallen short of your expectations. But the reason why you have it is to, I'm an engineering-minded person, so it's to look back at those data trends and to say, hey, is there a pattern here? What can I learn from it? So for me, I learned that I was oftentimes a person who, if I thought an opportunity was too good for me, I would not follow up. Like if I went to a career fair or had a run in with someone, like for example, there was an opportunity at Boeing, which we have a huge Boeing facility in St. Louis. I had an opportunity at Boeing and I had followed up a few times and had great conversations with the person. And eventually I got to a point where I had learned what the role was. I felt like it was outside of my chops. And so I just stopped following up. Obviously no one should do that, but that wasn't the only situation that I had done that in. And so I think that without my failure resume, I wouldn't have been able to see that. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to see that kind of trend. So that way, whenever an employer asks you, what's the time that you've failed, you can speak more to your trends and how you've changed them rather than just a specific instance. That's a, that's a really good idea. I think that's uh, something that a lot, a lot of folks could benefit from. I think it's, it's critically important for us to 
recognize when we have failed to meet the expectations or the goals that we've set for ourselves, and then take a, a hard look at why we didn't. And sometimes that why might be out of our control, but sometimes that why might expose a, a personality trend uh, or a tendency like you've described that we can then work on uh, addressing to improve our success. And I think the flip side is also important. Like uh, I know, you know, a lot of companies have these, you know, like managed business objectives or, you know, uh, uh, what do they call them? Um, measurable goal. Uh, there's another term. I can't remember what they are, but, um, and so at the end of the year, you have to fill out this form. Like, what did you do this past year? Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to remember like the things that you actually did complete sometimes as well. So, uh, it sounds like maybe, maybe tracking both of those things might be, might be useful. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we're all human. We're all going to fail. And our whole industry says fail fast and fail often. So our failure resume should be long, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. We should we should learn. I mean, like recognize when something is not working and uh, and, and, and make a switch. You know, that's that's the whole idea behind fail fast. So um, so, uh, you know, switching gears just a little bit, I was wondering, um, you know, what sort of things have you found um, so far, um, and I'm sure there will be plenty more over the years to come, that uh, things you found so far that maybe school um, hasn't, like, hasn't prepared you for? Like, what sort of things did you realize, like, hey, I need to be able to do this, or I should be doing this, and that's not something that school typically talks about. I know that when you and I were preparing for the show, you mentioned personal branding as one thing that perhaps, you know, newcomers to the industry are not you know, there's, there's nothing being said in school and a career, uh, in a normal educational track about the importance of personal branding, for example. Yeah. So obviously, um, not everyone has to start, you know, a packet pushers podcast or a podcast or a blog, but, you know, creating a name for yourself as you go to conferences, um, you know, people hand out silly little stickers or, you know, a few of our friends, JD and one other folks started Kilted Mondays. You know, people find all of these unique ways for people to remember them. And I think especially, you know, unfortunately, this industry is saturated by males. So uh, especially when you are, when you do fall into that population of, you know, older millennial male, if you can find a way to diversify yourself and make yourself stand out year after year, especially if you're attending the same conferences, it's huge, right? Whether it's passing out a sticker, wearing the same shirt, shaving your beard in a funny way, making sure that you introduce yourself to a certain group of people. If you're not comfortable speaking, if you're not comfortable writing, that's totally fine. But make yourself unique and identifiable in some way and start early. Because I cannot tell you how beneficial it's been for me. I, I joke that I started hacking my way into conferences, but I won't name the conference that I walked into first, but there was many. Um, so my mom was traveling to conferences and, you know, I just borrowed her badge, I'll say. Um, I won't go into full details because it'll be stuck here on the internet forever, but I may have snaked my way into a few conferences, but, you know, I told people when they found out that I wasn't supposed to be here, I said, Hey, I'm an intern. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just here to learn. And, and everyone was totally fine with it. So, but then by the next year I'd returned to that same conference, people pointed me out and they said, Hey, it's the intern. So 
that was something unique and identifiable that they recognized just by something I had said. And obviously, you know, I'm a minority, so I stuck out. There's plenty of things that people can do to brand themselves. And I, I think that it's so, so, so important, you know, go meet the influencers, go to the social media meet and greets, go to the, the lunches, the optional things. Don't, don't hide away in your hotel room. Um, don't, don't watch the conference keynotes online, you know? Yeah. I think I do agree that branding is, is important and, you know, I, it's probably obvious given my own, you know, website, you know, blog, books, blah, 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 whatever. Um, but <laughs> um, there's an interesting discussion to be had there about, you know, how does uh, how does someone who is quite possibly an introvert, which is not at all uncommon in our industry, how does someone who is normally introverted uh, go about doing sort of that? Now, we don't have to necessarily go there for our podcast because... You know, that's probably a, a useful discussion to have in and of itself on a separate show at some point, perhaps. But you're you're right. You know, I like there's a there's a gentleman I work with um, within the Kubernetes industry, and he has a very colorful beard and everybody knows him. Now, he's also a technical wizard. But, uh, you know, mm. the first thing you see about him is his is very bright beard. Um, so you're right. Things like that help help you stand out and certainly can help uh, open doors, create opportunities yeah. that might not have otherwise been there. Yeah. Now, I'd like to go back to something you said earlier in the podcast about if you had it to go back and do over again, you may not have started out going and getting a four-year degree, right? And that sort of opens the the door to what I would consider sort of, quote-unquote, non-traditional career paths. And and I'm just curious as to your thoughts, like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of emphasis placed on degrees, maybe not as much so these days as there used to be, uh, and maybe not as much so in our industry as there used to be. But um, how does one sort of weigh that, that do I go get real life certifications and then get my, my job and get some experience and then do school? Or do I do school and, and show, you know, my, my future employer that, you know, Hey, I've got the, I've got the, you know, stick to it that I can finish this and then, and then learn, you know, like what, I don't know, just what are your thoughts? So I think it depends on what your projected career path is. If you plan on going through a traditional management role, maybe then a four-year degree is right for you because they're going to look for that business degree or just that traditional four-year degree. Um, if you plan on being in a technical role, I say, screw it. Don't even waste your money. Go put it towards certifications. Make your mom cry and then buy her a nice shiny present whenever you're making good money and she'll get over it. You know, so... Global Knowledge recently came out with their highest paying uh, IT certifications. And it's it's a big, long list of 15. But the top one was Google Certified Professional Cloud Architect. Under that was two non-technical certifications. It was PMP and Scrum Master. After that was uh, AWS Solutions Architect Associate and AWS uh, Developer. So I think that when you're looking at what what certifications to take, once you've decided, hey, I'm not going to go the traditional route, one, you want to look at, hey, what's going to make me the most money? But you also want to decide, what's my area of interest? I would say first become a generalist and then focus on one area that you really like. So I really like security and SDN. So I, I love the networking space and I love where security meets networking. 
and that that's my sweet spot. But I understand the network and the data center as a whole. You know, that's where I've decided to to hone in my knowledge. And of course, you know, I have smattered studied for certifications. I like want to say certifications because I feel like I've taken the exams because I've taken so many practice exams, but smattered, smattered studies everywhere. But that's part of becoming a generalist, right? So I think that, you know, you, you find what you like and then you pay for those certifications and what you want to become a somewhat of an expert in, right? Also, you know, there's the option of getting an associate's degree, you know, and of course this is such a, a political answer, but, you know, it's never too late to go back to college. You know, you can, and if you choose that route, then maybe you're at a company that's going to pay for your college. So, you know, I would say focus on getting those certifications first, really. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's reasonable. I would, I would have a couple of counterpoints that I would make, you know, one, uh, it would be fascinating to see, um, some of the details from those highest pay certifications and, and how many of the folks that hold those certifications also have some level or some significant level of industry expertise, right. As opposed to a brand new person coming out of the gate who is Google cloud certified or AWS certified. So that would be one counterpoint. The other counterpoint, I think, is like there might be a third category, and that is in watching my own son go through his CS degree, he picked up concepts, foundational knowledge that he's been able to apply across multiple programming languages because of the formal training that he took. And even though while he was in the middle of it, he kind of felt about it like you felt about your stats class, you know, uh, when it was all said and done, he he realized and, and came to me and said, you know, like having this sort of conceptual uh, technical foundation really prepared me to then go and apply it in a very practical way to learn, you know, language X or language Y. So there might be a third category. I think that maybe software development may benefit from formalized training um, as opposed to the kind of roles that you and I are in. You know, I'm infrastructure centric, moving up towards the application stack. You're looking at the intersection of networking and security and SDN. Um, those kind of roles may be more amenable to to just hitting certifications first and then, and then getting a degree later. Yeah, I definitely, if I could, if in my specific, uh, where I want to go and the kind of role that I want to be in, which for any recruiters listening, uh, you know, I, I want to go into technical marketing, product development, uh, security engineering, you know, there's a lot thrown out there, but you know, I think that I would have greatly, greatly benefited from industry knowledge before my degree. You know, I think that some of it would have been redundant, but, you know, I think all networking people can say redundancy isn't a bad thing. So uh, give me anti-redundancy or give me death. <laughs> there you, you know, go. <laughs> I think that I, I would have gotten a few certifications, gotten a lower level job at, you know, company X who is going to pay for my degree and then gone to school online or at night. And I think that it would have given me a greater appreciation for my classes and a greater understanding. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks, uh, Corey. And, and, and I think listeners, it's important to understand, like, you know, every situation is different, right? And, and uh, reach, out to, uh, reach out to others in the industry. Reach out to Corey. Uh, I'm sure she would be open to a discussion. If you're in a similar situation, you know, feel free to contact me. I'm, I'll give you my contact information as we wrap up the show. <clears throat> and... Um, We'd be happy to have a discussion with you and help you find the right path forward uh, to a successful career in IT. All right, we're reaching the end of our time window, 
And while I'm enjoying the discussion, I also want to be mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, I don't want my show to run too terribly long for my listeners. So thank you, Corey, so much for being on the show. I really appreciate uh, your perspective and being willing to share that with uh, my listeners. Um, in closing, again, why don't you share uh, contact information so folks can uh, follow you online and perhaps, you know, uh, interact with you. Yeah. So I am at SDN daughter, SDN daughter on Twitter at CyberCorey on Instagram for all of my young millennial folk, uh, www.totalpackets.com, Total Packets on YouTube, Corey at TotalPackets.com if you want to email me. Um, but honestly, just slide into those Twitter DMs, slide into those Instagram DMs. You know how we do. I'm always happy to uh, speak to any of the listeners. You know, it, it warms my heart that that we're able to uh, to stay in contact with people who are listening to the podcast. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much, Scott, for having me. It, it was a great time. Well, thank you. And thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, for giving us a little bit of your time uh, today, uh, this morning or this evening or this afternoon, whenever you may be listening to the show. Um, if you uh, enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes of the Full Stack Journey, we'd appreciate you providing some feedback via iTunes or whatever platform uh, you found the show on. And the show is available on all major platforms. So there's plenty of ways to find us. And of course, episodes are always published on packetpushers.net. You can reach me, Scott Lowe, your host, as at Scott underscore Lowe on Twitter. And my DMs are open. Uh, my website, blog.scottlow.org. Um, you can also interact with uh, the podcast directly, which is both me and sometimes the, um, my uh, associate producers and stuff, the folks from Packet Pushers, as at FSJ Podcast, also on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you again. If you uh, want to reach out, feel free to do so. And I would certainly enjoy the opportunity to chat with you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.